Hello everyone, and welcome to You Scared of This, a weekly podcast where two grown-ass adults in their 30s watch every episode of Nickelodeon's hit horror anthology series from the 90s for kids, Are You Afraid of the Dark?, and try to determine whether or not it's still scary. I'm Eli Phillips, and with me as always is my best friend, David Dykus. David, how are you? Hello, party people. I am up and ready to go. I'm surprisingly alert for this recording session for the first time in what feels like weeks. I'm energized and ready to talk about Are You Afraid of the Dark? And it's good that we're feeling this way, because we have a very special episode that we're watching tonight. Uh, It is The Tale of the Night Shift, and it's going to be a big one for us. Yep, so big. So big, Eli. That I think we need to go ahead and get Nick News out of the way right now. Good news! There's not any. Alright, awesome. No, no nude business. The only articles I could find today when I looked were a few on that underwater hotel, but I think we've set our piece on that. Yeah, I also found a brief article about how Nickelodeon announcing that they're going to have skills for Alexa on the Amazon Echo. Hold on, now she's listening to me. Cancel. Never mind. Uh, like, they're going to have things that kids can do. Can Alexa can do be a with... guest host one week? <laughs> we just interview her. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that was the only thing I saw, was that they announced they are going to have some stuff for the Amazon Echo family of products, and uh, I don't really care about that, because they're not out yet, and I can't test them, so fuck it, let's move on. Alright, Eli, anything in your life you need to talk about? Nothing, all good. Alright, same here. The tale of the night shift. As Eli said, this is a very important episode in the series history. It originally aired on February the 10th, 1996. And it was directed by the man himself, Mr. DJ MacHale. MacHale. McHale. And if I'm not mistaken, this episode has a little bit of a complication to it regarding the air date and the chronology of the show. It should be episode 65 of Are You Afraid of the Dark? The final episode of the final run of the show. The first run of the show. But for some reason, they aired them out of order. Canonically, this is the final episode of the series' original run, but we're not going to be done with season five after we review this. We'll have one more episode to go. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah, Uh, so right now, officially in the books, we're watching episode 64 of the show, 12 of this season, February 10th, like you said, Tale of the Night Shift, directed by DJ McHale, and written... For the first time in a long, long time, yep. by Miss Chloe Brown. I know, it's been... How long has it been since we, we heard from Miss Brown? Mrs. She had Brown? two episodes in season four, okay. uh, at the very beginning of season four. She had like three episodes in a row. She was credited with The Tale of the Dangerous Soup in season three. She had The Tale of Cutter's Treasure one and two in season four. And then I don't think we've had another episode from Chloe Brown since then. I don't think we have either. I think we would have mentioned it if we did. Yeah, and for uh, listeners who maybe don't remember or who have missed possible details from our show uh chloe brown is the pen name for dj McHale when he's writing episodes that aren't under his name he told us in our interview with him that that was done so that there would be more female names on the credits (laughs) and also because there were some regulations regarding like for some reason there was some stipulation that said he couldn't direct the episodes he wrote yeah yeah i think that's true and so, yeah, so Chloe is, is actually DJ's pen name. So this is the last episode directed by DJ and the last episode written by Chloe Brown, which is sort of a funny thing. This is the I'll last DJ McHale joint. Yep. So uh, with all of that out of the way, are you ready to dive right in? As ready as I'm going to be. I feel like there's going to be a lot to talk about on the butt end of this, but let's let's just get to it. 
We open on uh, Gary walking up to the stone throne. I like that there's a shot of the stone throne by itself at the beginning of this episode. It feels like it was a very conscious decision to hold on that before we see anyone walk in, right? Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that too. That was a, yeah. a nice so we, touch. We see the stone throne, and in the background, Gary is walking up to the fire. And before he gets there, he's obviously distracted because he doesn't even see Sam walk past. She apparently got there first. And uh, Gary just bumps into her. They bump into each other. They both say, sorry. Yeah, they have a sort of awkward exchange. Let me tell you, Eli, this, in the spirit of calling back to earlier motifs in the show, this is a very sorry intense episode. I made a note of that myself, actually. This is very Canadian. By my count, at least five different characters say it in this episode. Sorry. I'm sorry I'm late. Sorry. Sorry. Gary sits down at the fire next to Betty Ann and explains that he finally told Sam how he felt about her. But she shut him down. She said that she had too much going on, and even though she felt the same way, it just wasn't going to work out. So now he is totally bummed. He takes this way too hard. I mean, emotionally he takes it appropriately, but I guess... Like, his intellectual reaction to it is sort of silly. He's like, the point is, she doesn't want anything to do with me, and my life is over. Yeah. Uh, Betty Ann consoles him, and we sort of move on. I think Stig and Tucker arrive next, and they're like, all right, let's get this party started. Yeah, way to read the room, guys. (laughs) Our storyteller this week, though, is Sam. And Sam sits down in the storyteller's chair and says she has a story about illusion and deception. And she reaches into the old prop bag, pulls out a big rock that she flips over to reveal... A geode. That it's full of crystals. Yeah, it's a geode. Thank you. It's a geodude. She talks about how things can seem one way on the surface and be something else under the surface, and uh, that that can occasionally be deadly, and that's sort of her lead-in. This is weird for me because... uh, And we'll get to this at the end. The stuff that's happening in the Midnight Society sequence here directly relates to the stuff in the episode which we've complained before about that not being the case or about those being really tenuous connections this is a very direct connection and she barely references it right i have here my notes uh sam claims her stories about illusions and deception i mean it is but it's mostly about vampires (laughs) yeah saying it's about illusion and deception is on its own kind of deceiving because while those play into it i wouldn't say that they are like themes of this episode right Uh, But anyway, she throws that coffee creamer right on the fire, and we jump into the tale of the night shift. And we meet the first of our three young protagonists? I think that's fair to say. None of them are buttheads, although one of them is kind of an idiot. This is an episode with a lot of characters. I would say more characters than we're used to on this show. Yeah, and named. A lot of named characters. So bear with us as we try to keep track of all these different characters and and their plot threads. The first one that we meet is a kid named Felix, who, despite being, like, 15 years old, works as a janitor overnight at the local hospital, which is where this entire episode takes place. Felix is mopping the floor, and he gets into an argument with his boss, Jack, who is complaining to him that Felix is not allowed to sign for packages, and he shouldn't have signed for, what is it, like a water pump? It's a water pump. Apparently, earlier in the day, Felix signed for a water pump that was delivered to the hospital. Uh, Jack, his boss, is not happy about this. He calls him Zebo. Find it, Zebo. Or find yourself another job. He calls him Zebo several times. He's like, listen up, you Zebo. You know you're not allowed to do that, you Zebo. Now, was he calling him Zebo as an insult, or was Zebo the character's last name? No, I think it's like calling someone Bozo. 
Okay, 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 that makes more sense. Because Felix Zebo is a terrible name. The scene makes sense if it's written with, like, Bozo in there and he's, like, insulting him. But then you have to remember this is a universe where, for some reason, Zebo is the word that we use. Where everyone knows Zebo, a clown who was a, a criminal who died in a fire. And has his own video game and his own amusement park ride and, yeah, all of that. Uh, he's, so he's more Jack than just the Bozo of this world. He's like the Mickey Mouse. He really is. He's the Mickey Mouse of this world, but also the O.J. Simpson. Cut that out. (laughs) (laughs) In a parallel universe, not unlike our own, where Mickey Mouse killed Minnie and went on the run. Allegedly killed Minnie. Right, right, right. Uh, Some sort of glove joke. Anyway, Jack (laughs) tells... (laughs) Sorry, continue. All right, so Felix's boss yells at him for signing for this package, uh, which is a water pump, and tells him that he needs to find it because now that water pump is also missing. Felix panics about this and runs off down the hall, and we sort of pan over and transition to our main young protagonist. Yes, the second of our multiple young protagonists here, we meet Amanda. And Amanda is a teenage, college-age-ish girl who has just signed up for the night shift at this hospital as one of her many, many, many extracurricular activities. Yeah, she's one of the uh, night staff candy stripers at this hospital, and she gets into the elevator with Lorette, a friend of hers, I guess from school? I guess? Uh, They're talking about how busy Amanda is. They talk about how she has school, and then she has extracurricular activities, and then she has homework, and then she comes here... So she never has time uh, for anything else. She's always super busy. And then the two of them step off onto the children's floor of the hospital and are nearly run over by the kid you described as the true antagonist of this episode. Yes, we meet this episode's true villain, the incoming kid. A bastard who zooms across the hospital in his wheelchair. I think deliberately trying to mow down people as he goes. Yeah, Amanda and Lorette were having a conversation with the head nurse on this floor, who's kind of an asshole, and Wheelchair Kid just drives in between all of them. Like, it's a wide hallway, and he just comes straight down the middle like he's bowling. (laughs) Pretty much. He is just so irritating for us and for everyone in the episode. We also, also meet... And this is a lot of characters. Again, bear with us. We Margot, who is another teenage girl who's just started volunteering during the night shift. And she is a, a saccharine sweet high school or college girl who introduces herself to Amanda. Overly nice. Overly nice. Suspiciously nice, one might even say. Yeah. So while the two of them are doing their introductions, we cut back to Felix, who is now down in the basement, which looks like... Uh, it looks like the bowels of a ship. <laughs> It's just full of, like, these bright red furnaces and, like, smoke. Yeah. I you would, expect I, there to be, like, a big muscle man shoveling coal into the fire to keep the hospital running. I wonder where they filmed this scene. I just assume they shot this, you know, like, pinball wizard style. They just rented a, a hospital overnight. So Felix is down there, and he finds a piece of the shipping crate that the water pump allegedly came in. It's been, like, burst open. Like, someone smashed to the crate. And while he's examining this, he throws it into the furnace... And is suddenly made aware that there is a, quote, beautiful girl in this basement. Another one of the candy stripers in her volunteer uniform is standing there. And she's listed literally in the credits as beautiful girl. 
Okay, this a teenage girl rounds the corner. She is not dressed to work in a hospital. She looks like she just stepped out of like any late nineties pop music video. Like she was an extra on the set of Hit Me Baby One More Time or something. Yeah, and she's got all of the acting chops of like a porn star. She is making eyes at him and doing these come hither beckoning things, and then she slowly kind of walks around a corner, never breaking eye contact with Felix. How did it get- Hi, Felix. I want to show you something. Now, you might think that Felix would be suspicious of this attractive young lady that has just wandered into the gross, disgusting basement to... That would be reasonable. Felix is a janitor. <laughs> he knows that even if this this woman is evil, this might be his only chance for, like, human contact with a woman. He's also 15. I'm, 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 this is all subtext, by the way. None of this is actually spelled out in the episode. <laughs> it's his inner monologue that we hear. <laughs> So it's for that reason that he throws caution to the wind and follows this girl around the corner. Where he is met not by beautiful girl, but by terrifying old vampire thing. Yes, when he rounds the corner we see that the girl has transformed into a hideous sight indeed. Which I have just labeled in my notes to be Monster Face. Is Monster Face the scariest monster we've had this season? Uh, Well, it's up there with the tail of the dead man's float. Yeah, that's the only other contender. This girl has transformed into an old, disgusting vampire wearing the haunted mask from Goosepumps. Yeah, it's like a mint green, wrinkly, evil, White Walker-esque face with long, messy white hair and glowing red eyes. It is terrifying. And I'm really surprised that they just show it outright here uh, this early on in the episode, because this is only like five minutes in. Yeah, they only show it for a second, but it lunges straight at the camera. Yeah, so Felix is attacked by this monster, and we cut back to Amanda. Nurse Lorette, and the she... other teenage friend of Amanda's, tells her that there is someone in the hospital that she that Amanda is friends with. This person requested her by name and is apparently kind of cute. Once again, Amanda, a young person, cannot resist this. She's just, she gotta have it. Goes to the room. It's a thirsty hospital. <laughs> Goes to this person's room and finds her classmate, Colin. Yes. Being a dick. Colin is awful. Colin is our third and final young protagonist. And when Amanda comes to see him, he acts like he is dying. Amanda? Is that you? Colin? She gasps and she's like, Colin, what happened? But he quickly reveals that this is all just a ruse and he's only in the hospital to get his tonsils taken out. Yeah, it's an unfunny joke, and he is the only person who ever laughs at anything he says. Colin, from this point on, basically spends the rest of the episode macking on Amanda and trying desperately to get her to go out with him. She insists that she is way too busy for that, hearkening back to sort of Gary's plight at the beginning of the episode. Right, right, right. Now, when Sam says it to Gary, you believe that there's love there. When Amanda says it to this douchebag... You know she's just being polite to get him off of her back. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's annoying, and she doesn't seem to like him. Colin is a kind of character that I think you used to see more often on TV. He's like this young man who thinks that if he harasses women long enough, he can break their will and get them to go out with him. And we're supposed to root for him because he does stuff like that. Yeah, he's kind of aloof, and he's, I guess, supposed to be funny and carefree because he jokes all the time and he's laughing at his own jokes. But when you really examine it, he's just annoying. So now these two are paired up, and they're going to go on this this quest through the hospital together. 
Meanwhile, elsewhere in the hospital, one of the nurses we met before... Lorette. ...sees a random little girl wandering through the hospital, much like Felix did in the basement. Yeah, she kind of plays hide-and-seek with this little girl and chases her down the hall into some random room. And I guess I'm going to call this my random observation of crap in the background of the week. Oh, but, but, but Eli, I didn't see anything in the background in this shot. Oh, but you did, Dykus, because that's exactly where that little girl was standing. She's far enough away down the hall that we can't really see her face. She's just some random-ass kid in a robe who disappears into a room. I think you see her for, like, maybe a second. But if you'll remember back to our interview with DJ seasons ago, he talked about how that little girl is Alicia Cuthbert, who ends up being a member of the Midnight Society in the next group. Huh. Well, I'll be damned. Yep. You will. We'll be seeing her again soon. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, yeah. I mean, you're supposed to say that before. We definitely fucked that one up. But so did DJ. And history. And IMDb. So, fuck it. So anyway, this nurse follows the girl into a random room, and she too is attacked by Monster Face. Yep, it's exactly the same as it was with Felix. She rounds a corner, it's spooky, we know something's coming, but she doesn't, and then Monster Face jumps out. We cut back to Colin and Amanda, who are still wandering wandering around the hospital. Colin is just laying it on way too thick here. At one point he even says, I'm not giving up till you give in. Which, holy shit, dude. Yep. That is, that is not okay. Work on, go work on your fucking personality. Yeah, yeah, he's terrible. Their discussion is interrupted when Lorette, the nurse who just got attacked by Monsterface, walks down the hall all zombie-like. Yep, uh, something paranormal has definitely happened to her. Because when you're attacked by a zombie or a vampire or something, uh, one of the symptoms is to act like totally flat and monotone. She's really tired, she's got bags under her eyes, her hair is disheveled, she's very pale, and she just sort of, like, wanders down the hall and barely responds to anyone. Uh, this whole scene is interrupted by, once again, the wheelchair kid, incoming kid. Who zooms past them, Margo, the other young nurse, finally catches up with him and stops him. And he lets everyone know, This place is so boring. Let's go to the morgue. This kid is nuts. She says she's going to take him back to his room. The two of them disappear, and then we cut to Amanda folding some towels, I guess. Lorette walks by. She's a zombie. We cut to Amanda folding towels. We get a fake scare where someone sneaks up behind her, but it's just Colin asking her for another date. What a charmer. Yeah, she storms out into the hall to avoid him, and the head nurse, the one that's kind of a butthead, appears and colin and amanda to hide from him because colin is not supposed to be out of his room and amanda doesn't want to look like she's goofing off the two of them duck into a closet and they make a horrifying discovery (laughs) they're hiding out colin is still being a creep but when they look down they find dozens of bags of blood that have been shredded as if they've been torn apart by an animal yeah i actually love this scene this is a moment where yeah. we all know what's going on, but they don't. And this episode has done a really good job of building that sort of tension. Everyone has been really, really casual. Uh, you know, there's been a kid zooming around the halls. There's been a boy asking a girl for dates. She's trying to get her work done. There's just been a lot of, like, very slice-of-life uh, interactions happening. Meanwhile, we, the audience, keep getting these shots of a vampire attacking people. So we know how high the stakes are, even though no one else does. And this is the moment where all of that sort of comes to a head, because our two protagonists suddenly realize that there's deeper shit going on here. They track down one of the older nurses. They tell her, hey, there are a bunch of shredded blood packets in the closet. Isn't this kind of suspicious? But of course, we see this this older nurse, and we could tell she's been totally vampirized. How strange. 
They're shredded like a dog got them. I think we better call security. You're right, Amanda. I'll do that. She's talking in this slow, weird monotone. Mm -hmm. She tells the kids that she'll take care of it, says she's going to call the cops. They walk away. She does not call the cops. Yeah, she has two giant mosquito bites on her neck. Yeah, this is the first of several extreme close-ups of a, a vampire bite on a character's neck. Yep, yeah, so many of those throughout this episode, and this is the first one. Amanda and Colin are heading down to the morgue to find Margot and incoming kid and find out what's going on. Uh, and when they get to the morgue, no one's there except for a freaky-ass dead body. We get a surprisingly, shockingly graphic scene of these kids wandering into the morgue and finding what appears to be a cadaver lying on a metal table. Yeah, like, they're not really shying away from this. Yeah, yeah, they walk up to it, they peel back the sheet, and it is revealed to be Felix, the janitor kid from earlier in the episode. Amanda is horrified by this. Felix cracks a few jokes because he's a classy dude. Felix, he works on maintenance. Not anymore. The whole scene is really surprising in how far it goes. Like, as far as we know, this is an actual dead body that these kids have just found in a morgue. And um, the actress playing Amanda really plays it that way. She sort of grasps Colin and, like, cries into his shoulder, and the two of them leave the room. But the moment they walk out the door, Felix opens his eyes, sits up, and we see that he, too, is totally a vampire. Yep, he got two big skeeter bites on his neck and some big old vampire teeth in his sly grin. And he gives a big evil smile to the camera as we go to commercial. Kids love watching the hidden marshmallow ghosts appear in my Count Chocula cereal. Come, see for yourself. Mom, would you pour milk on our Count Chocula? <laughs> she shouldn't have poured the milk. Breakfast time, clap. <gasps> my marshmallow ghosts make Count Chocula a deliciously scary part of any complete breakfast. Do you want to see them appear? Kids, now when you pour milk on your Count Chocula cereal, marshmallow ghosts will appear from inside their chocolate shells. It's a spooky surprise. When we cut back, Amanda and Colin have discovered that the head nurse has gone missing, she has not called security, and they turn around only to see, what's his name, Jack, Felix's boss. Yeah, and he's also zombified, has the big mosquito bites on his neck. The kids try to call the police, but they discover that the phone line is dead. Just like old Felix. Colin. Yeah. yeah. Come on, dude. I'm actually- Way too soon. <laughs> I'm actually glad they did that. It makes me hate Colin Moore, which I think he deserves. And also, it sort of distracts from the fact that they did that very, very cliche, someone picks up the phone, hangs up the phone, makes eye contact with another person, and says directly to them, It's dead. That trope, like, I, I know that they're trying to reference old television shows and old movies when they make this, but even as a kid, that trope was cliche to me. It didn't bother me as much here. It was just so hammy. Anyway, I was glad that they had Colin sort of uh, cut that tension and distract from that cliche. So the two of them are now running from Jack, who is a zombie, and they kind of are aware of the fact that he's a zombie. They know that there's something wrong. They run into the stairwell where they bump into Felix. Yeah, Felix, much to their surprise, is alive again. Or as he puts it, he's sort of dead. Yeah, he kind of died. Which I assume is a callback to Phantom Cab. Yeah. Uh, what was that character's name? Flynn. Flynn, yeah. I sort of died! <laughs> uh, so the two of them run from Felix down the hall, and he chases after them and actually gets a, like, a big scene here. Yeah, Felix gets a big monologue where he 
he nearly attacks them. He nearly turns our two other young heroes into vampires. But he manages to control his bestial urges and explains that he was the first. He, he speaks very cryptically about what happened to him and how he was turned into a monster and how he's changing, but he's trying to fight it. It's a very big, dramatic scene. And this kid sells it pretty well. Yeah, he, he does an alright job here. He drops a ton of exposition. He says that he was the first person that this vampire attacked and that the vampire drank too much of his blood and that's why he turned into a vampire. And that since then, this creature has just been moving around the hospital, feeding on people and turning them into mindless zombies and it's going to get everyone. He mentions that the vampire shipped itself to the hospital inside of the water pump crate. That's how it got there, which explains why he found it in the basement. Uh, and then he talks about how they have to defeat it and they need to help him. Yeah, Felix takes the other two kids down to the basement where we see the vampire's coffin just propped up against the wall. It's a very cartoonish looking coffin. This vampire has made basically no effort to hide this coffin, but yeah, Felix explains that if they destroy the coffin, they destroy the vampire. Which yeah. this reminded me, I may not include this, but this reminded me a lot of the uh, the how do you kill a vampire lesson from that that Max Landis video from years yeah, ago. Yeah, the, the John Landis quote. There's something my dad made up, which is he told me when I was little and I was frustrated about rules uh, in movies. He said, uh, how do you kill a vampire? And I was like, stake through the heart, garlic, you know, sunlight. And my dad was like, no, you can kill a vampire however the fuck you want because vampires don't fucking exist. You can make up rules for any kind of thing you want. Aww. And sure enough, they've invented this new way to kill a vampire. It's not a stake through the heart. It's not garlic. It's not a cross. It's not Simon Belmont's whip. It is just destroy the coffin. Is there a uh, literary antecedent to that or precedent? I have no idea. Not that I'm aware of, no. Now, my instinct when, when I heard this was like, oh, this is a way for them to defeat the vampire without having to resort to, like, gore or anything really bloody. This is going to be a nonviolent way to kill this vampire. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's accurate. We'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. But that's when the vampire appears, right? As Margot. Well, don't just give it away. Margot rounds the corner and overhears this and has been eavesdropping on this conversation. She actually speaks in kind of a confusing way here. She says, Felix is wrong, you know. Of course a vampire needs its coffin. But it also needs blood. What? It's like, no shit, lady. We all knew that. There's well, yeah, I think she's teasing Felix. didn't Felix. say anything inaccurate. I think, I think she's teasing Felix because Felix said that they had... All they need is their coffin or something dumb like that. So Margot rents this corner. She's talking to them. She says, really, vampires only need to, to feed about every 50 or 60 years. And wouldn't it be brilliant if one hid out inside a hospital? It's like a candy store. And then she reveals her secret. She transforms through some pretty decent transforming animation into Monster Face. Yeah, the camera like zooms in on her face and, and then morphs into Monster Face. And it's the best CGI effect we've had in a while. They finally got it right after how many attempts this season? A lot. Starting they with finally like, found a way to do it that isn't horrible. Yeah, they start with the worst one in Jagged Sign, and, and now we've achieved something <laughs> good. Oh, God. I hadn't thought about the Jagged Sign in a while. So bad. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, our two young protagonists run for their lives, and Felix... I guess is stuck fighting this vampire by himself. Thanks, guys. Yeah. They are being pursued by zombie vampire security guards, and they're running through the halls. 
They devise a plan to destroy the vampire's coffin. Amanda says she's going to lure the vampire away using herself as bait, and Colin is going to go to the basement and shove the coffin into the fire. And so they go their separate ways. Amanda makes a run for it, discovers that literally everyone in the hospital has now been turned into a, you know, the walking dead, essentially. Yeah, the next several minutes are really just her, like, bumping into every other character we've met and all of them making funny little quips about being vampires. The best one, of course, being Incoming Kid. Yeah. I got to see the morgue. For real. Shouldn't he be out of his wheelchair at this point? Can't he walk now? (laughs) You'd think so! I don't know. I guess being turned into a vampire doesn't heal a broken leg. Yeah. While this is happening, Felix and Colin are fighting each other in the basement because Felix has been overtaken by his vampire urges. Yeah, they're having this this intense struggle at the bottom. Felix gets the better of Colin and nearly bites him. Colin appeals to his, his human side and says, no, if you kill me, or if you turn me, then Amanda's dead. Is this supposed to be a love triangle? I think it is. It's not something that they dwell on, but I think that's the implication here, is that maybe Felix also has feelings for Amanda. Yeah, I think so. And that's... that's. I'm glad they don't overplay that. But yeah, that's enough to to quell his bestial urges. And Felix instead decides to work with, with Colin destroying this coffin. While this is happening, Vampire Margot has uh, sort of chased Amanda onto the roof. And she trans- I like the... Go on. I really like that throughout the this whole chase through the hospital, the vampire stays in the form of Marco and, and is not monster face. Like the vampire chooses to take the form of this teenage girl. It's well done because of the fact that, like we referenced, Margot is super chipper and friendly. She is made creepier by that fact. Like the fact that we know this is a hideous, horrible monster thing, that it is very scary and very evil, but when we see it, it's this charming, smiling young woman walking slowly through the uh, hospital adds sort of an extra creepy element to it. Finally, Margot slash the vampire chases Amanda to the roof. We get a really like kind of amazing cinematic shot of them on the roof of this hospital in the middle of like an actual city. Yeah. Which is a, a strange thing to see for Are You Afraid of the Dark? It mm-hmm. was very impressive. But the vampire takes on its real form and chases after Amanda and actually catches her and dangles her over the edge of the building. Yep. While he's doing this, he delivers maybe the single most graphic line of the entire series so far when he tells Amanda what he's going to do to her. <laughs> I shall drop you and then lick up what's left. <laughs> fucked up that's fucking gross <laughs> yeah uh yeah the vampire is dangling her over the edge of the building as felix and colin throw the coffin into the incinerator in the basement well no he pulls her back and decides no the old-fashioned way is best so he opts rather than splattering her to just drink her blood you know dracula style and as he's about to plunge his fangs into her neck, Colin and Felix manage to shove the coffin into the fire. And uh, holy shit, <laughs> things get... If you thought things were crazy before, you hadn't seen anything yet, because things get crazy co nuts here. Yeah. The second that they throw the coffin into the fire, we cut back to the vampire leaning in, about to bite Amanda, looking probably the scariest it has ever looked. And all of the sudden, it bursts into fucking flames. Now, is this an impressive special effect like in the tale of the fire ghost? No. This is an actual actor that they have lit on fire. Yeah. I. How do they do this? 
I, I don't know. It's incredible. They Like, you see the vampire's head catch fire. Then he steps back and we cut to a wide shot and his entire body is engulfed in flames. And this vampire is just screaming bloody murder. Finally, the, this vamp, this flaming vampire trips over the edge of the building and we, I shit you not, we see this vampire plunge 30 stories and splat onto the ground below. Yeah, he crashes into a, his flaming corpse crashes into a dumpster. Does it crash to a dumpster? I, th- I thought we just looked down and you see it, like, on the pavement. It's, it, it falls directly into a dumpster on the ground. Either way, this thing falls to its death, and we... <laughs> Amanda looks over and you just see this smoldering corpse yeah. uh, from the top of the building. It's fucking insane. I, I, don't, I don't want us to gloss over this too fast. This happens in the span of about ten seconds, but this is maybe the most visually impressive, like, scene... Of the entire series. This is the most climactic moment that we've had in the show. Yeah, it is It is an amazing scene. It feels like something that we've been building towards. Like, we've commented so much on the times that they do get the special effects right. We've commented on crazy CGI. We've commented on impressive fire effects. You know, we've had some cool endings. But this is just the culmination of, like, every good sort of climactic point of an episode of are you afraid of the it's like they took everything they learned and put it into this moment it is a very satisfying moment the only thing that could have made it better would have been if the vampire had exploded when it hit the dumpster at the bottom of the (laughs) the hospital like the emperor being thrown into the death star (laughs) just a wave of fire like zooms back up and knocks backwards Uh, we, I mean, <laughs> we cut away from this to the inside of the hospital, and there's happier music playing as Amanda walks back through the hall. Yeah, everything has been restored back to normal. All of the employees and the patients inside the hospital are their normal selves again. Amanda reunites with Colin, and they notice, like, well, I guess we did it, but no one remembers. No one remembers what happened. But Felix comes up to them, smiling. He gives them a knowing nod and says, I remember. And then just walks on to be a janitor for the rest of his life. He gets like a, a, a nice sort of goodbye with Amanda, which, again, really makes me think there was some sort of intention of a romantic subplot there. But no, Amanda winds up with Colin and says, so how about that second date? Ugh. Colin says, that sounds great. And Amanda leaves him with a very sexual parting line. But I'm pretty sure I can squeeze you in. Ugh. <laughs> wow okay so the two I did of not them interpret off. I did not interpret that as explicitly as you did <laughs> you, you, you I mean gross, that's my thing you gross human being <laughs> oh come on that one's not that much of a stretch <laughs> pun intended as they leave we get a scene that DJ talked about when we spoke with him we see a door in the hospital closed with the number 65 on it signifying that this is the close of the 65th episode of the show and now it's over. Yep. Womp womp. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, we we cut back to the Midnight Society around the fire. Everyone is appropriately impressed by this story that Sam has just told. Yeah. As they're leaving the campfire, Sam stops Gary. All of the Midnight Society members pass by them, and we they all kind of say their goodbyes. So when Gary and Sam are alone, Sam says to him, I thought about things... I know I said, told you I was too busy, but I don't want to let this opportunity pass us both by. Maybe we can make this work. And Gary reacts like a total goob. 
Yeah. He's like, really? You, you think so? G -g -g Gosh. Really? Uh, that's great. Uh, why don't I, I put out the fire? And... No. Not yet. I'm going to watch it a little while longer. Oh my god, that was the tale of the night shift. Tagus, what'd you think of this one? This was an incredible episode. It was amazing. This was one of my favorite episodes ever. This had everything you would you really want out of an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. An amazing monster, awesome special effects, some great action sequences, good characters, you know, creepiness, Colin's creepiness notwithstanding. Uh, and like I said earlier, this episode really had a cinematic quality that a uh, few other episodes have. Yeah, I completely agree with all of that. A great note for Sam to go out on. I think probably her second, my second favorite Sam story. We'll get to Sam's goodbye in a minute. But yeah, I really don't have a lot, of, a lot to say about this episode that we haven't already talked about. Just one of the best ones ever. I, I can't believe how solidly built this episode is. You know, there's normally something... There's normally something to kind of pick at, and there's not here. And if there's not something to pick at, I'm often afraid that it's, like, still just a mediocre episode. It's just like, hey, everything was fine. The acting was good. The story was good. It's great. Every part of it is great. The, the storytelling in this episode, I continue to think about. Like, I've watched this a few times now, and I keep thinking about how well composed it was. Aside from that one moment where Felix is sort of, like, dumping out the exposition i think that the structure of everything is really great we've had episodes that don't really make sense this is a story that makes perfect sense and it's also i think like an interesting take on what it's doing like setting this vampire story in a hospital at night is cool uh making it happen with the teenage volunteers on the children's floor is cool like this could have been a feature-length movie the way that they've plotted it and structured it. They could have they could have done as much with this as they wanted because of how well built it is. And that's really a credit to DJ. Yeah, I really get the sense that DJ had been sitting on this idea for a while and he knew that this was like this was a winner. I think yeah. he definitely saved it was his intention at least to save the best for last. And yeah, this everything just came together here. Even the exposition dump I thought was well done because the actor playing Felix he really, like, he's in the throes of his, his vampire madness. He really sells it with a lot of emotion, so it's not too, you know, flat or dry. No one in he, in this episode acts poorly. You know, we, we, we took issue with a couple of the characters themselves, but everyone does a good job here. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing left to do is ask. Eli, you scared of this? I think this episode deserves a yes. The vampire in this is actually scary. You know, I've said before that I try to imagine myself falling asleep watching one of these episodes and whether or not it would, like, fuck me up in my dreams. And that vampire, if I had a dream where he was standing in front of me, I'd be scared of him. Yep, I'm going to second that. I was, I will say I was scared of this. I would say this is probably one of the top five scariest monsters in the series. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, it's no Zebo or, or nothing, but, you know, it's, this was a really great monster, a really great premise. Uh, you'll think twice when you have to stay in the hospital. It's so crazy to me that the vampire gets as much screen time as it does, and it's so scary. Most villains in this show that are that scary don't get this much screen time. Or, a lot of monsters are overdone. We talked about how the shots of the Scarecrow in The Silent Servant 
were bad because of how long they held on the scarecrow like it wasn't a good effect and if they would have maybe not focused so directly on it it would have been scarier this is a scary ass monster and they just give it like a shit ton of time it 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 works so well well i think what makes the the vampire in this episode work is that they build to it like when you first see it you just see it scowling at the camera and like going in for the kill but once it builds up to that line where it says it's going to splatter amanda on the ground and lick up her her remains like holy shit yeah yeah they've just been building it up this whole time something else that i've said in the past is i try to imagine watching this episode with a kid and how they would react to it or how i would have reacted to this episode as a kid i've referenced the fact that i started watching the show with my six-year-old niece right before we started making our podcast this is not an episode i could have watched with her at that time no this is like do not watch this with a child if i was like eight years old this episode still would have scared me if i was 10 years old i would have been comfortable watching this episode but at eight i guarantee you this would have fucked me up which is amazing this is i think everything we wanted are you afraid of the dark to be when we started reviewing Mm -hmm. these shows and it's a shame that we're only now getting it towards the the end of the golden era but i'm glad we got it yeah now before we we do our send-off I have to ready that. I have to prepare that sad tuba of mine. This was the very last Sam story. Yeah, Sam has been with us for how many seasons now? Three. Uh, yes, Sam first appeared in season three, replacing, essentially replacing Kristen. It's crazy to me. I actually this time I prepared. I made a list of all of Sam's episodes. Sam only told six stories. <laughs> Yep, Sam told the tales of Watcher's Woods, Dream Girl, Long Ago Locket, Room for Rent, C7, and Night Shift. Sam, the highest highs and really the lowest lows. <laughs> what was what was the worst Sam episode? C7. C7 with a fucking bullet. Uh, I don't I don't know if I like uh, C7 less than Room for Rent, or not Room for Rent. Uh, sil- I don't know if I like it less than the Long Ago Locket. Long Ago Locket at least had some laughs in it. Oh, man. Uh, maybe. Um, speaking of Room for Rent, I will note that the vampire in this is the same actor that played the ghost in Room for Rent. Oh, really? I did not yes. I did not know that. Yeah, I IMDb'd this episode. Yeah, uh, Sam definitely had some lows, but given the fact that she's going out with one of the best episodes ever, um, that's something to celebrate. Also, I think more than most characters in the show, Sam had an arc herself outside of her stories that was iconic in this show right no i completely agree she comes in as you know the guy's a girl uh and by the end of it she is you know she's come full circle in this this romantic relationship with gary which Uh, she's the and she's she and gary are really the only characters who get that sort of slow burn storyline from beginning to end David and Kristen get it a little bit but their ending is so abrupt and the development of their relationship is really pretty subtle right like there are only a few moments where it's outright acknowledged and the rest of the time it's it's sort of a background thing whereas sam and gary it's focused on multiple times gary writes a poem about sam and tucker finds it uh he tries Mm -hmm. to tell her on multiple occasions how he feels about her he competes with frank for her affections yeah it's right there in the foreground and the thing that i like most about it is we complain a lot about the romantic relationships on this show they are often kind of cringeworthy sam comes in as a very strong character she's not just a prize for gary 
And when Gary asks her out, she rejects him and then takes her own time with it, deciding what's right for her. That is a really interesting point. I had not thought about that, that she comes, she eventually kind of comes to him of her own volition. She's not just like fawning over him. Their relationship happens just because they're two people who like each other. And I'm happy about that. This was a very heavy episode for us to cover. Uh, I'm going to miss Sam. I'm eager to see what kind of, who will slip into that role of the person who tells the romantic stories and uses a lot of props. Yeah, and it'll be interesting, you know, you talk about how there's nothing left to say, but we also have to discuss who will direct those stories. Oh, shit! How did I, how did I forget that? Who will write those stories? Play the tuba again. Here we go. This was the final DJ McHale-directed episode. Yeah. DJ, who has been with us for the entire series... Uh, as an executive producer, and Chloe Brown, who gets the first writing credit on the show, if I'm not mistaken. You know, DJ, obviously, is he is this show. He was the mastermind behind it. He, co-creator, he wrote at least part of every episode. Yeah, and a stand-up guy. Yeah, and just a cool dude. And a silver fox. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> DJ... DJ McHale, the only person old enough on this show that we can comment on their attractiveness. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, his his direction on the show is definitely going to be missed. I think you know we talked very, very frequently about how he and Ron probably had the most distinct directorial styles. DJ, I mean, when he was when he was on, he was on. Like he he elevated the show so much in like his best episodes. Yeah, even something as silly as Train Magic, you know, an episode that could have been terrible. He turned, like, that was a, a really solid episode, and a lot of credit there goes to him. Yeah, I mean, I freaking love it. DJ's really good at writing sort of adventure episodes. Uh, Cutter's Treasure, Train Magic, those are ghost stories, and they're still adventure stories. And I love those elements. Even this had a lot of that to it. You know, them having to, like, hatch a plot and distract the villain and defeat it in some way. He's... He's got a pace to his episodes that I think is really wonderful, and uh, hopefully someone can sort of pick up that mantle in the next season, because it's cool to see that. Like, that's a fun thing to see in a kid's horror show is like, yeah, there's the scary stuff, but there's action to it, too, and I really like that. I mean, yeah, it's 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 a shame that we're losing him here, but at least he went out on the best note. Yeah, I mean, that's actually a fair point. Is this the best DJ episode? And I guess by that I'm asking, is this a better episode than Midnight Madness? Oh, God. That is a tough... Two vampire episodes. Yeah. Very tough call. I don't know, man. I don't I don't want to say... I don't want to say something that I'm going to regret. So, yeah, it really comes down to... Which is his best one? Night Shift, Lonely Ghost, or uh, Midnight Madness? I think that Lonely Ghost is, to me, the quintessential Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. Mm -hmm. it, it's a ghost next door. It's a young protagonist and a butthead. It feels like a Goosebumps book type thing where it's like a kid gets dared to go into an old haunted house and then has to solve a mystery. It's That is, to me, the definitive episode of this show, but I do not think it is the best, and I do not think it is my favorite even just among the DJ episodes. And that really is going to come down to Midnight Madness or The Night Shift. And ultimately, I'm trying to debate how important it is that a Dr. Vink episode be my favorite. 
because otherwise I genuinely think Night Shift is better. Well, we're very much under the influence of Night Shift right now, having just watched it. So that may be something we have to come back to in the Freighties or perhaps even further down the road. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm comfortable waiting before I make that decision, but I will easily say that those are the top three DJ episodes, and that in some ways they're tied. Anyway, DJ, if you're out there listening, we love you. We loved your most of your episodes. Sad to see you leave the director's chair, but excited to see what comes next. Yeah. So congrats to DJ for a really great episode. R.I.P. Miss Chloe Brown. R.I.P. And with that said, we finish The Tale of the Night Shift, which means we only have one more episode left in the original run of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Episode 65, the 13th episode of this season, The Tale of Badge. Oh boy. An episode that we'll talk about it more next week, but one that I assume just aired way out of production order. Yeah, this episode uh, is going to be directed by Ian Patterson, and this is going to be a Gary story. The final Gary story, if you hadn't well, already guessed. kind of. Well, I don't think he tells another story. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, stay tuned next week, the season five finale. Until then, we want to thank you all for listening. You can find us all over the internet at the usual spots. Facebook.com slash you scared of this. Twitter.com slash you scared of this. You can hear all of our back catalog on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash this. If you're listening to us on Apple Music or Google Play, why don't you leave us a nice rating and review? It'd help us out and make us feel better. Yeah. And don't forget to subscribe. And don't forget to subscribe. And you know what? There's probably going to be a lot more hurricane flooding. Why not help some flood victims right now? Do Please. something nice. You'll feel good. So until next week... I'll, I'll sign off this week. Right. I, David Dykus, declare this episode of You Scared This closed. Incoming! <laughs> <laughs> Why couldn't they have thrown him off the building? <laughs> uh, I get As we go to commercial. Cocoa Puffs? Or, no, not Cocoa Puffs. That would be ridiculous. Cocoa Puffs! <laughs> we just deliberately missed this opportunity. <laughs> ah, Cocoa Puffs. My favorite Halloween-themed cereal. <laughs> There's nothing spooky. A big talking parrot or something. It's so scary. Ah. Um, He's when... cuckoo for them. He's It's lunacy. <laughs> Madness. <laughs>